Welcome to My Bible Study, a verse-by-verse devotional study through the Bible with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. In this unique series, Pastor Bob takes you through the Bible just a few verses at a time. No preaching, just a simple Bible reading with examples and explanations of the meaning behind the Scriptures. My Bible Study will take you from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, here is Pastor Bob Thibodeau. So with that, as the overview, what can we learn from them spiritually? There's basically three things I want you to take away from today's study. First, even today, just as it was then, people are quick to forget God. Verse 1 and 32 both contain the same phrase, after the flood. You would think that a judgment as catastrophic as the flood would cause people to fear God for many generations after that. They should have realized that they could not defy God with impunity. I mean, yet, here we have a description of the nations with no hint that any of them followed the one true God. That's why Shem was looking for someone that was serving God so that he could pass on the blessing. It's overwhelming, really, to think that all these names that are contained in the Bible, and they realize the whole group of peoples that had descended, the whole nations who lived and died for the most part without God. And yet, their own history and their own genealogy would know that Noah and his three sons had to repopulate the entire planet. Everybody could trace it back to the flood. Maybe there is more knowledge of God than we're aware of. But what we know about these nations from later history would not indicate that any of them worshipped the one true God. That's why when Abram or when Shem heard about Abraham, he came to Abraham, or Abram at the time. I mean, let's look at Nimrod. This is a good example. Apparently his name was proverbial in Moses' day so that people compared a powerful man to Nimrod, right? Over in verse 9, it says, uh, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it was said, Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So at first glance, I mean, he was basically a dictator like Stalin and, and uh, Saddam Hussein, right? At first you, you might think he was a good guy. Since he called him mighty hunter before the Lord. The point is that Nimrod asserted himself against the Lord. All right? There are several clues which point us in that direction. First, the term mighty one. Used three times about describing Nimrod. Grows the powerful, the wicked Nephilim in Genesis 6, chapter 6, 3 or 4, right in that area. Nimrod was like them, it says, mighty in their own exploits but not mighty in their relationship to God or godliness. Second, Nimrod was the founder of both Babylon and Nineveh, which later became enemies and conquerors of Israel. If you trace the word Babylon through the Bible, you find that it was first a city and then a symbolic word for a system that exalts man in opposition to God and oppresses men under tyranny. In Genesis 11, verse 4, the builders of the Tower of Babel posted or boasted that their tower would reach up into heaven, that they would make a name for themselves. Centuries later, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, boasted about his own great power. He set up a gold statue as a symbol of his glory and his power and forced everyone to bow down to it. Later, he boasted as he walked on the roof of his palace, isn't this Babylon the great 
which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might and the power and my own power for the glory of my majesty. He exalted himself against God, who's ruler over everyone, who bestows human sovereignty to whomever he wants. All this is in Daniel chapter 4. And he used his power to force people to bow down before false gods. Later in Revelations chapter 17 and 18, we'll talk about other religious and political Babylon, the great Babylon the Great, the harlot who exalts herself against God and slaughters the people of God. She said to sit on many waters, which are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues, Revelation 17, 15. The wording talks about us, the families, the languages, the lands, the nations, from Genesis to now. Babylon oppresses the nations and turns them away from God. You could say the United States has become Babylon. Our government is forcing people away from God. That's what you see happening in the news right now. Now, for this reason, many biblical commentators suggest that when the text says Nimrod was a mighty hunter, it should be meant that he was not a hunter of game, but a hunter of men. The Hebrew word is used elsewhere in reference to a violent invasion of the right people and the rights of men. Uh, Nimrod used his skill and force in warfare to build a kingdom for himself at others' expense. Again, we go back to Josephus. He wrote, Nimrod was a bold man, a great strength of hand, and he gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them to a constant dependence on his own power. See, that's what we're talking about. So when it says that Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord, the Hebrew is in the face of the Lord, or against the Lord as the Septuagint translates it. Moses is reminding his readers that Nimrod's tyranny did not go unnoticed by God. His name itself comes from a word meaning we will revolt. Sound familiar? He established his kingdom in defiance to God. Note also that Nimrod is a nephew of Canaan who is cursed by Noah. James Boise imagines Nimrod who would have been aware of this curse saying, I don't know about the others, but I regard this matter of the curse of God on Cana as a major disgrace to my family, one that needs to be erased. Did God say my uncle Canaan would be a slave? I'll fix that. I'll never be a slave. What's more, I'll be the exact opposite. I'll be so strong that others will become a slave to me. Instead of slave, I'll make them say, here comes Nimrod, the mightiest man on earth. Well, as the Italian proverb states, once the game is over, the king and pawn go back into the same box. What's good, what good is it to become the founder of a mighty kingdom if you do not know the one true living God? Fame and power, that's just a period of time on this earth fleeting in the face of eternity. I've read that Mei Zedong, the famous Chinese dictator, viewed by many of his people as a god himself, shortly before his death, said on several occasions, I'm dying and I'm soon going to meet the real god. Right? 
Uh, Alfredo Strassner ruled Paraguay as a dictator for 34 years. He had named over 10,000 streets and public places after himself. When he died in 1989, well, I'm sorry, when he was deposed in 1989, the day after the coup, crews were already changing all of the names on those streets. So no matter how great we become in the eyes of men, the day will quickly come for all of us when we have to come face to face with God. That fact should help us to remember God all the days of our life and order our lives rightly before him, lest we forget as Nimrod and all these other nations were quick to do, one day we have to stand before God. Now there's a second lesson I want us to remember from Genesis 10. People are quick to forget the oneness of humanity. There is one true living God. There's also one human race, which he created in his image. We are all descendants from the same family. We are theologically conservative sometimes, and hesitate to talk about the brotherhood of man because the liberals use it to imply, oh, everyone is the family of God, you know, separate, you know, don't worry about salvation, we're all one family, right? There is a true biblical doctrine of the brotherhood of all men. Paul referred to it in his sermon at Athens when he said that God made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed time and boundaries in their habitation, Acts 17.26. In the same sermon, he calls us all the offspring of God. If Christians would stop to think about the implications of this rather dry 10th chapter of Genesis, I'm not lying, okay, racial prejudice would be solved because we're all one family. I've been shocked. I'm always shocked to hear racist comments from Christians. Sad to say, you know, chapters of the Ku Klux Klan have Christian pastors serving as chaplains. But the Bible is clear. Whatever your skin color is, you can still trace your ancestry back to one of the three sons of Noah. We are all brothers and sisters, and we're all related. You know, 256 cousins or whatever it is. But we're all related. Why then are we so quick to divide from one another and oppress one another? The history of humanity has been one of power struggles in every level of society and among all the various nations. Why? Because the one human race has one basic need. There's no distinction. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's one common theme that runs through every nation. As God said to Noah after the flood, the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's your need in mind, to repent of our sins, to do away with pride and prejudice, to know about God's forgiveness so that his gospel of reconciliation can flow through us to those who have not yet heard the gospel of salvation, which is the third lesson here as we get ready to close. God wants everyone all people everywhere, to hear of his one way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. There's salvation in no one else, Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men. That's everywhere, men everywhere, by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross, 
is the only means of salvation with God. And he wants everyone to hear about it. Maybe, you know, sometimes I get asked, and you may have heard the same question, well, what about all those people I haven't heard about God? What about all those nations before Abraham? They never heard about salvation through Christ. Well, again, Paul gives an answer in his sermon at Lystra when he says, and in the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without a witness. And that he did good and gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons in your harvest, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God's witnesses was around them. If men will seek him, he's never far from each one of us. Amen. Although I admit it's difficult, uh, it's a difficult problem to address, we know that God will be fair, God will be just with every single person. The real question we face today, what about us? What about us who have heard? What about us who say we have accepted Jesus as our Savior? What about us who have received the forgiveness of our sins? What about us who have received the rebirth of a new man created in the image of Christ who's in the image of God. What about us who are now called children of God? Remember, we've been talking about the children of Noah and the descendants of Noah. What about us who are children of the Most High God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus of all things? What about us? What are we supposed to do? First, if you haven't already, you need to come to Christ to repent of our own sins, to receive his pardon for all of eternity. Then we are responsible to tell others. Again, that doesn't mean you have to you know, quit your job and go to seminary and become, you know, open a church, become a pastor, or, or leave everything you know behind and go into the far reaches of the earth and live as a pauper, as a missionary and, you know, all these other nations and all that. Every person has a calling. You've heard me say this over and over. You're called to go, called to help those that go, or called to send those who are called to go. But every person has a part in this plan. And we are all responsible to tell others in accordance with that calling to either go, help go, or send goes, send those that go. His plan, God's plan, is to use his people, his descendants, his children, to tell others who are his children that salvation is being offered, that the guarantee of living forever with him is being offered. But it takes a decision on your part, my part, to do that. We are the ones being held responsible to tell others. His plan is, to, God's plan is to tell, is to use us, his people, to tell the message of salvation to every family, every language, every land, every nation, every person in this earth, in our generation. We will see in Genesis 12, when we get over there, how God chose Abraham and promised to bless all nations through him, 
and through his descendants. God's promise to Abraham was to bless all nations for all time. We are also descendants of Abraham, father of our faith. Praise the Lord. We're almost out of time, so I don't have time to go into this in detail. We will see in Genesis chapter 12 how God chose Abraham and promised to bless all nations through him. From Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, in the fullness of time, the promise of the Savior was born. Hallelujah. Even his own people refused to receive him. So, outside of the Hebrews, other descendants of Noah did believe. Other descendants through Shem did believe. Other people in the earth in the days of Jesus and after did believe. Remember, I said with my European heritage, we probably came from Japheth. Oh, we were blessed with Shem. Japheth was blessed with Shem. He's a, a co-inheritor of the blessing of Shem. You see how all this ties together now? We have a right to the blessing. We have a right to be with God. We have a right to do so. But if you don't know, it doesn't happen, does it? Okay. So we are responsible, once we understand, once we are, have been forgiven of our past, once we've been forgiven of our sins, once we've been born again, we have a responsibility to share that wisdom and that knowledge and that word with those who still don't know. Okay, Christ purchased with his blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Revelations 5.9. Right? And we talk about Jephthah. Japheth would dwell in the tents of Shem. Genesis 9, 27. That means we're all in the household with Shem, which, through which Christ came. Christ came, purchased with his blood, people of every, every tribe, nation, and among men. Now, we who have received the blessings of Abraham, we who have received the blessings of Abraham, you and I, we are commissioned great commission to go tell the good news of salvation and forgiveness of sins in Christ to those who have not yet heard. That's the purpose of this broadcast. Folks, though people are quick to forget God and the oneness of the human race, God wants all people everywhere to hear of his one means of salvation. And his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. For now, I just want you to see that. Take the time to study it yourself. Until next time, you know, the information in the Bible is there for a reason. Get your Bible out start reading. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for joining Pastor Bob as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible in this series called My Bible Study. We pray this study will bring you closer to God and reveal His Word and His will for you through the Scriptures. We would consider it an honor and a blessing if you would support this outreach with your financial offerings. We have partnered with Patreon to offer you unique gifts and benefits for various levels of giving. Please visit our page on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash mybiblestudypodcast, all one word. That link again is patreon.com forward slash mybiblestudypodcast, all one word. Until next time, 
Be blessed in all that you do.